0: Holiness, hopefully you, after these last 10 or 11 chapters, you said, aha, now I know why he picked holiness for the word for Leviticus. It really is about being holy, Uh, 11.45, if you remember chapter 11, verse 45, it's likely to be on the midterm, so you might want to mark it. For I, the Lord, am the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. Therefore, you must be holy, because I am holy. And so the Lord tells them they are to imitate and to reflect His holiness. big idea for tonight is living for God alone every day. And if you went through all these chapters, uh, you saw everything is covered in their lives. <laughs> mm. Living for God alone every day. This really revolves around the idea of imitating God's holiness. Uh, the first few chapters uh, were about, imita- or, uh, sorry, uh, let's see, there was reflecting His holiness taking it into account as I approached worship particularly. This one is about living like Him. So living for God alone every day. 17 through 20, we had wonderful things to see. Uh, Living for God alone in the people's daily lives, 17, 18, 19, and 20, basically dealt with uh, their daily life. And he covered things like what they ate. We had already seen some of that, but he particularly talked about the blood and you have to drain the blood out. Interesting, when they get to Acts 15 in the New Testament, what's kind of one of the things, one of the only things they pull from the Old Testament that they wanted the the Gentiles to observe? Drain the blood before you ate it. So the Gentile Christians, here's how you can help a Jewish Christian not stumble because they had been steeped in this idea. Here's where it comes from. So living for God alone, how did they imitate God's holiness? Chapter 17, by what they ate, they uh, needed to have a reverence for God's place, God's price, remember, because the animals were for sacrifice, and God's plan, this was God's plan, a good plan for their lives. He wanted them to again enjoy His choices for them rather than their choices for themselves. He went on then into chapter 18 and talked about how the people were to live by their sexual purity, and he talked primarily about protecting the sacredness of marriage and family. And so chapter 18 He had a lot of words about that, which we're not going to read. Chapter 19, by loving their neighbors as themselves. And so he talked about uh, this was really toward the community and the ways they were supposed to interact with one another. You saw kind of a little bit of repetition of the Ten Commandments there partway through chapter 19. Um, and then he he had some more words about how they were to live and plant and not plant and don't eat meat and don't practice fortune-telling or witchcraft or don't trim off the hair on your temples or trim your beards. Uh-oh, big trouble. Do not cut your bodies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He, he's got a lot of... Uh, A lot of words here about how to treat people. Using honesty, justice, non-exploitation, and being generous to your neighbor. And then chapter 20, having a zero tolerance for evil, meaning purge the evil from among them. And he talks about uh, some capital offenses and what they are to do in those various situations, Um, and he wants them to to use capital punishment to take care of this. Uh, So they do that. So they're supposed to live for God alone, so he deals with the people's daily lives. Then in chapters 21 and 22, he goes back to the priests, and he makes sure that the priests know some special things about living their daily lives. And so he talks about living above reproach because of their privileged role. And so the, the priests, um, you know, who he can touch, who he can't touch if someone dies, um, the way they are set apart, uh, the women they're supposed to marry, um, not having any defects. Defects. And he lists quite a few there. So he lists out all of those things because they are to be examples of God's perfection. And then he goes on into chapter 22, and he talks about not just their lifestyle, but their attitude. And so chapter 22 is really about their attitude and how they handle things. And so he says, you're a minister to please God alone. Don't become lazy or careless in your work and minister to all with grace, dignity, and love. So he talks about how the priests are to live their lives. Uh, like uh, verse 31, uh, 31 to 33 at the end of 22. You must faithfully keep all my commands by putting them into practice, for I am the Lord. Do not bring shame on my holy name. For I will display my holiness among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who makes you holy. It was I who rescued you from the land of Egypt that I might be your God. I am the Lord. They were to be reminded every day that they were the Lord's and that it's the Lord who was at work in their lives to bring them to the place they were and there to reflect Him in all they do. Don't lose sight of me, if I would say it maybe a little more colloquially, today's language. Don't lose sight of me. Don't lose track of me. I'm the God who did all this good stuff in your life. Now, live that out in your own life. So living for God alone, he's telling them, live for me alone in your daily lives, in the priest's daily lives. And then he moves into 23 and 24. He talks about their calendar. So your daily life and now your calendar. 23 and 24, he starts giving them the appointed festivals, Uh, Passover, uh, first fruits or first harvest, uh, trumpets, Day of Atonement, then he goes over the Day of Atonement again at the end of chapter 23. Uh, Let's see, he talks about the festival of shelters, and then chapter 24, he talks about uh, keeping the lamps burning, the, keep the 12 loaves of bread fresh. And then there's this example of just punishment. So the, the capital offense from a couple chapters ago, now we get an illustration of them putting that into practice. And so this um, young man uh, who uh, seemed to have curse, cursed the name of the Lord uh, and it was overheard, was stoned to death. And they took him outside the camp and stoned him to death in verse 23. The Israelites did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so Israel's national calendar would demonstrate holy conduct among the Gentile nations through their observance of his appointed times and seasons. And Laurie included the Jewish calendar... On your handout, page four. So you should be able to see uh, their annual calendar in your handout. Point of chapter 23 and 24 how Israel spent her time was a witness to and reflection of her God. How she spent her time was a witness to and reflection of her God. So he's telling the people, live for me alone in your daily lives, in the priest's daily lives, throughout the calendar, and while you're in the land. So that's 25, 26, and 27. He talks to him about the Sabbath year, and the Sabbath year was every seventh year. Every seventh year. And what were they supposed to do? Let the land lie fallow. Uh, When we get there, if you've been around with us before, you'll remember that uh, Judah, remember Israel and Judah divide later on. Uh, Israel is deported by the Assyrians in 722 B.C., And Judah is deported in 586, and they live in Babylon for how many years? Seventy. Why? Because they had missed the sabbatic years, and God said, I'm going to take them out all at once. Because you've decided to ignore my words, you missed 70 of them, which is 490 years which is almost half of their existence. <laughs> and so God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you to Babylon for 70 years, not just because I like the number 70, but because that's going to let the land lie completely fallow like I told you. I'm going to get my 70 years of the land being fallow, and then I'll bring you back. And that's why Jeremiah, or Daniel was doing his devotional in Jeremiah, and he ran across the 70 years, and he said, oh, look at my calendar. This is the 70th year. And so he prays, and God sends an angel and says, hey, Daniel, good job. Ready to go home? Here we go, because the 70 years are finished. Perhaps other little interesting thing. Uh, Peter is feeling particularly benevolent one day, And he pulls Jesus aside and he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven full times? And the Lord says, how about 70 times seven? Now, why would that have been an important way of stating it to Peter? Because that would have been the reason and the duration of the captivity. You missed Seventy times of the seventh year for the very same sin. Peter, when you can forgive like my Father in heaven forgave you for the same sin for 490 years, let's talk. You see Jesus' point? (laughs) It's not just a big number. It's... A monstrous number and a monstrous attitude that Peter didn't have. Jesus is saying, I want you to be like my father. 490 years for the same sin, 70 times over. That's a lot of forgiving. That's why it's fun, because once we go finish the Old Testament, you'll have a great framework then for the New Testament. And you'll see some of these little things that get referred to. You say, ah, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's coming from places way back here. Way, way, way back here. So he tells them about the Sabbath year and what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. And they can redeem the property at certain times and places along the way and certain people can redeem it. And if it's in a walled city, they can redeem it and all these different kinds of things. And then we get to chapter 26. Massive chapter. And you said, oh, that was right at the end. That was last night, and I was trying to get it done. And I almost got through chapter 26, but my eyelids grew heavy. (laughs) I know you. You should have two headings in chapter 26. The first heading on uh, 1 through 13 should be something like blessings for obedience. The heading on 14 through the basically the end of the chapter is punishments for disobedience. Which leads to a great principle which is true all throughout the Old Testament. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings discipline. Disaster and death. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings discipline, disaster and death. You could also add in there deportation if you want to because that's why he sends them out of the land. Look at these blessings. Five of you will put A hundred to flight. A hundred of you will chase 10,000. And then he flips it around. He says, You know what? But if you don't follow these things, I'm coming after you. And I'm going to discipline you. And I'm going to chasten you. And I'm going to teach you. Chapter 26 is a massive, massive chapter. It absolutely will be on the midterm. Chapter 26 because of the principle it contains for the entire Old Testament. We've talked about this before, but I want to take this opportunity to reiterate it. Ephesians 1, 3. You've been blessed in the the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. How many blessings? Every. Are they available to you right now? Yes. In the New Testament... It's flipped on its head. In the Old Testament, obedience brings blessing. In the New Testament, you've been blessed, therefore obey. You say, well, what does the Lord have that I need? You tell me. How about fruit of the Spirit? How about hmm, love, joy, peace? What's that next one? The Lord has patience, and He says, this is one of my treasures. Well, if I wanted it, Lord, how would I get it? And He says, write a check. It's good. I'll cash it. (coughs) There's patience in the bank. (laughs) Here's your checkbook. Write your check. Lord, I need patience. I know you do, Bill. But you're gonna need it for more than a day. You're gonna need it for more than an hour. (laughs) What about those things that go on and on and on and on? Is there still patience in the bank? (laughs) There is. It's the Lord's patience. Massive chapter. Obedience brings blessing, disobedience brings discipline, disaster and death, and even deportation, finally. And so he talks to them about... Uh, Oops, what's going on here? Obeying God, God blesses the obedient, He disciplines the disobedient, and then He encourages them in chapter 27 to keep their commitments To him. Remember, there's uh, a couple of parts in here that are part of the Suzerain Vassal Treaty. Remember, we talked about that? Suzerain Vassal Treaty in Exodus? You're not allowed to forget anything if you're going to go through this class, (laughs) and especially if you've been through it more than once. Because the next assignment, if you've been through twice, if this is the second time through, you have to spell suzerain vassal treaty. (laughs) And if you've been through it three times, you're going to have to tell me the parts to the suzerain vassal treaty. The suzerain vassal treaty gave certain stipulations as well as certain promises. And this was the suzerain, Yahweh is the suzerain, he's the all-powerful king And he has vassals. He has servants. So this is the suzerain vassal treaty. And he said, these are my, this is my covenant. You do this, I'll do this. You don't do this, I'm going to do this. This is how a king treated servants in that day. And this is still a very gracious rendition of the suzerain vassal treaty. Okay, so he tells them in chapter 27, wrapping this whole thing up, he tells them, keep your commitments to me. Because that's ultimately what they needed to do to fulfill the suzerain vassal treaty. So, living for God alone, this is what he was calling them to do. So he goes over one more time your daily life. He goes over the priest's daily life. He goes over their calendar. He tells them about what's going to be important to stay in the land. Key among that is obedience brings blessing, and disobedience brings discipline, disaster, and death, and it will bring you deportation if you provoke me because of your disobedience. Thus, every facet of the Israelites' lives, was to imitate and reflect God's holiness, first before God, then before others. Holiness in Leviticus, first there's honoring God's holiness in public worship. That took 16 chapters for him to share. How do you honor God's holiness in public worship? He said, I have standards for sacrifices, standards for the priests, and standards for your cleanness and ability to approach me. Then he says, I want you to imitate my holiness in your private walk. And he says, I have standards for the people, standards for the priests, standards for your calendar and standards for you to stay in the land all very very clear right right we should have no problem through the rest of the old testament watching the israelites walk this out because it's so clear <laughs> if you've never gotten to look into leviticus before it it's not only a fascinating book but a great book with lots of applications for us today, how do we live for God alone every day? Imitating God's holiness. First, he's honoring. We honor God's holiness, and we talked about that in some lessons in our public worship. How do we honor God as we enter worship? And now, how do we imitate God in our private lives every day? You saw it every day in here, right? 17 through 27, every day, every day, every day. So, he wanted them to live out what they had become, a reminder. Because of Jesus, it's okay to say hallelujah here, our performance is no longer the means or measure of our status before God. Whose performance is Jesus? What about the time you don't perform? Shoot. Don't get out of jail this time. Go back to go. Sorry, you got so far that time, but you got to start over. I guarantee you, every single one of you thinks that from time to time. It's not true. God has been satisfied in full with Jesus' payment. If you write down nothing else, write down Jesus in full. (laughs) In full. There is not one penny left to pay God? Not one. You've been saved by grace, and this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. Do you get any credit for heaven? No. When you get there, yeah, Lord, I was pretty good. (laughs) Thanks for pushing it over the goal line for me. (laughs) He's going to say to me, you know, Bill, why should I let you in? Lord, there is no reason you should let me in here. There is not one reason in myself that you should let me in here. There is only one reason, and that's because you said you would if I trusted the Lord Jesus. That's all I have. Nothing else. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Let that sink in and wash over you. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Because of Jesus... Our performance is no longer the means or measure of our status. God's grace. Christians have been declared holy by God's grace as a result of Jesus' finished work. Declared holy. Who declared you? You? No, God. Who's got the books at the end? God. Do you? No. Who does? God. What does it say next to your name? Paid in full, holy. I, I just need you to process that. You go, well, I don't feel holy. I'm sorry. <laughs> you are. What other parts of the Bible don't you want to believe? Oh, sorry, am I meddling? Sorry, sorry. You've been declared holy by God's grace as a result of Jesus' finished work. Yet, we are responsible to pursue holy conduct in light of what we've become. Paul writes to all of these believers at different churches in the New Testament. What does he seem to assume about them? (laughs) That they're holy and that they can live differently than they used to live or the people around them. Is he just funning them? Is he teasing them? You know, neener, neener, look at me. (laughs) I'm a super Christian and you're not. (laughs) That's not what he's doing at all. He's saying, come on, team, come on. This is who God has declared us to be, and He's empowered us with His Holy Spirit. We can live differently. We've been declared holy, and yet we are to pursue holy conduct in light of what we've become. I loved a couple weeks ago uh, Cody's illustration. If you want to know what it's like to walk in step with the Spirit, you know, do a three-legged race, because we're kind of like in a three-legged race with the Spirit. Uh, it's not exactly natural, is it, <laughs> to walk thinking about somebody right over there tied up to you. But it's a great illustration. Walking in step with the Spirit. Guess who can go faster than you? <laughs> we have to slow down and walk at His... Pace and keep in step with Him. So, how do I live for God alone today? Well, how about my daily conduct? Uh, how do I treat God's words and God's boundaries? How about my sexual purity? How about loving my neighbor as myself? How about having a zero tolerance for evil in my life? How about living an above-reproach lifestyle every day? How about my attitudes? Galatians 5, and 23, fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, against these things there is no law. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How about my words? James reminds me of my words. Jesus tells me that I will give account For every idle word I've spoken, that's going to take a while. I'm not doing this to beat you up. I'm just doing it to remind you. Sometimes we think we're a lot closer to the finish line than we might be. How about my calendar how i spend my time ought to be a witness to and reflection of my relationship with god do your neighbors know what you do sunday mornings or do they ever see you leave i don't know i'm just asking you the question what seasons of my day or year, am I setting aside to be especially attentive to God? I know people who take little uh, retreats. Uh, Some will take it for an afternoon. Some will take it for a day. Some a weekend. Uh, Some, when they have the margin in their life, they can do it for a week. Is there any time that you especially set aside for the Lord? Just a question. Question. How about through my commitments? Am I honest at home, at work, among friends? Do I just generally keep my word and my commitments? Is my yes, yes, or is my no, no? And I'm as much of a people pleaser as any of you. You go, oh, I'm not a people pleaser. Mm." I'm going to say, wrong. Somebody asks you to do something, wow, yeah, uh, let me check my calendar. Just say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to make that. Thank you so much for asking. Or, I'd love to. Thank you. Now, I know sometimes you need to check your calendar because you don't know what your wife has put on your calendar. I got it. But sometimes we just do that because we don't want to give an answer. Sometimes we just need to give an answer, a loving answer. It's okay. I've been told no a lot. I'm, s- I'm still pretty intact. I keep my word and my commitments. I had a thing I was going to read to you. It's really good, but I'm not going to read it to you. <laughs> I know. I know. That's that's a tease. Uh, I'll get Laurie to send it out to you. It's I love Charles Spurgeon. And he wrote a thing about um, ascending the mountain. And it's kind of a comparison between the author of Hebrews says that uh, in the Old Testament, I could only come close to the mountain. I couldn't even come up the mountain. But in the New Testament, with the New Jerusalem on the top of the other mountain, I can come up as far as I want because that's where God is. In the Old Testament, I'm told how far I can come. In the New Testament, there are no boundaries. I can go. So I ask myself the question, huh, so why don't I go? Why aren't I making a beeline for the top every day? So sometimes I thought, well, maybe some of it's ignorance. Maybe some of it is distractions. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it turns out it's love. The reason I don't is because Jesus is not my greatest love, because if he was, then I would be walking up the mountain every day. Sorry. (laughs) Do you know what eternal life is, John 17, 3? And this is eternal life, says Jesus, to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. That is eternal life. That's why we have it now, because I can know the one true God. I can't know Him perfectly. I will one day, and how long will that take? All eternity to know Him. That is eternal life. Do I enjoy eternal life today to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He sent? Do I love Him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? and then love my neighbor as myself? No, I don't. Why? Because my problem is love. I keep getting in the way. Truth be told, I love myself more than anything else. Sorry, I'm meddling again, aren't I? (sighs) Look in the mirror and tell yourself that. Now, the good news is I want to do better, but I know I can't, and so I have to ask the Lord, Lord, today I want to love you more than I love myself, but that's going to take faith. And then I'm reminded Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please God, so that actually pleases God. When I say, today, I am very likely to love myself more than you. Yes, Bill, I know. Glad we're on the same page. (laughs) It doesn't change my love for you though, Bill. I've loved you with an everlasting love. My son has loved you and given himself up for you. I love you, Bill. Most of us suffer from a love problem. But just in case yours is not mine, that yours is distractions or something else, Uh, I'm going to recommend this book to you, if you've been with us before. This is my favorite book to hate. (laughs) This is by Jerry Bridges. You will get a copy of this. I make no money off of you getting a copy of it, but you need to get this book, Jerry Bridges' Respectable Sins. (laughs) I have a few minutes tonight. I thought I would read you some samples just so you see what a great book you will learn to hate. When I read this the first time, I was pretty sure I could guess what his… He goes through a great thing on how to walk in step with the Spirit, and so that takes him a little bit of, of time. This is worth reading. Then he says, okay, now let's start talking about respectable sins. Now, you know what an unrespectable sin is. What's the kind that we often talk about? Unrespectable sins. Well, what about respectable sins? (laughs) Respectable. And I thought for sure, chapter 1, he's going to start off with pride. It would be the natural place to start, pride. Let's start right Let's get the head of the snake, and then we'll get everything. No. He starts with ungodliness. And I'm like, yes! No! (laughs) He says, the sin of ungodliness to which we are all guilty to some degree. He says, how can I say that? Ungodliness describes an attitude toward God, while unrighteousness... He's really got ungodliness and unrighteousness um, in here together. Ungodliness describes an attitude toward God, while unrighteousness refers to sinful actions in thought, word, or deed. So ungodliness is the attitude, and unrighteousness is the action. And he says ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God, or of God's will, or of God's glory, or of one's dependence on God. He goes on and says, uh, now the sad fact is that many of us who are believers tend to live our daily lives with little or no thought of God. We may even read our Bibles and pray for a few minutes at the beginning of each day. But then we go out into the day's activities and basically live as though God doesn't exist. We seldom think of our dependence on God or our responsibility to Him. We might go for hours with no thought of God at all. In that sense, we are hardly different from our nice, decent, but unbelieving neighbor. God is not at all in his thoughts and is seldom in ours. (laughs) That wasn't a real cough. Get it? Okay. (sighs) Then he gives some examples. Yay. He says... We make our plans without recognizing our utter dependence on God to carry them out. That is one expression of ungodliness. In the same way, we seldom think of our accountability to God and our responsibility to live according to His moral will as revealed to us in Scripture. We seldom think about the will of God and for the most part are content to avoid obvious sins. Uh, let's see, what else does he do here? More horrible things. Our prayers are essentially human-centered, not God-centered, and in that sense, we are ungodly to some degree. Uh, a couple of summary statements here, because I've, I've taken notes. I don't know why, and I, I hate this. Uh, he, he talks about himself during the day. He says, first, I desire that all I do be pleasing to God. I want God to be pleased with the way I go about the ordinary activities of my day. So, he talks about how God will be pleased with him. Second, uh, he talks about how all the activities of his ordinary day will honor God, honoring God and pleasing God. Huh, sounds vaguely familiar, sounds kind of like Leviticus, He's using uh, New Testament quotations. Uh, let's see. I've got more chapters, so I'm going to skip to the end here. Um, uh, just sort of three summary statements. Uh, each day, living consciously, uh, consciously living in God's presence, consciously living for His pleasure. And consciously living to honor him before others. That's a chapter on ungodliness. Uh, then he's got one on anxiety and frustration. Mm. Nobody here struggles with any of that, so I'll just skip over anxiety and worry and frustration. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, this one is called discontentment. Mm. <laughs> I hear that chorus. Um, anxiety is a fearful uncertainty over the future, whether short-term or long-term. Uh, frustration is usually the result of some immediate event that has blocked my plans or desires. <laughs> Discontentment, the subject of this chapter, most often arises from ongoing and unchanging circumstances that we can do nothing about. Uh, let's see. This is horrible. Uh, he says acceptance, okay, so instead of discontent, how do I be content and accept what, what's happening? He says acceptance means that you accept your circumstances from God, trusting that He unerringly knows what is best for you and that in His love He purposes only that which is best. (laughs) You are where you are because this is exactly where God wants you. Can I explain it? I cannot. Do I wish it were different for you? Probably, if it's really bad, I do. And I would even pray for it. But whatever situation and circumstance we find ourselves in, this is where God in His great love and sovereign plan and will for our lives has placed us. And so, if I'm kicking against the goads, who am I kicking against? God. And what am I telling Him? I don't trust you. You're not doing this right. I think some of Job's friends started saying some things like that. Maybe even Job himself started wandering over into that little area of the world. You will recognize that there is a recurring theme running through this chapter as well as the previous one. That theme is the importance of a firm belief in the sovereignty, wisdom, and goodness of God in all the circumstances of our lives, and being able to respond appropriately. Oh, and then he said, oh, this is horrible. No, I'm not going to read it. It's too horrible. Unthankfulness. All right, I'll read it. Discontentment is at its root a dissatisfaction with the good and sovereign will of God for my life. It's got a chapter on unthankfulness. I don't like that one either. Pride. Finally, he gets to pride. It only takes him a few chapters to get there. Uh, he talks about moral self righteousness. You know that. You know uh, there's a parable about that one, right? The Pharisee and the and the other guy, and the Pharisee says, "Lord, thank you for not making me like that guy." And the rabbis might have even added, "Or a woman." Thank you for not making me like that guy or a woman. And Jesus goes, Phew. "You know, I can see him." <laughs> You haven't gotten this at all. That is moral self-righteousness. How about this one? Pride of correct doctrine. (sighs) (sighs) Ah. Closely akin to moral pride is doctrinal pride, the assumption that whatever my doctrinal beliefs are, they are correct, and anyone who holds another belief is theologically inferior. (sighs) He also includes, just for good measure, the pride of achievement. Hey, yeah, yeah. And he ends that this particular chapter on an independent spirit. This spirit expresses itself primarily in two areas, a resistance to authority, especially spiritual authority, and an unteachable attitude. Mm. What time is it? we got time for one more. I know you're enjoying this, so am I. (laughs) Jerry Bridges, Respectable Sins. I make not one dollar off of every book he's going to sell. You need this book. It is the best book you will ever hate. This chapter is called Selfishness. I wrote the subtitle for the applause of men. We can be very learned in our theology or very upright in our morality and yet fail to display the gracious qualities of Christian character that Paul called the fruit of the Spirit. May God help us to deal with our own blind spots, including selfishness, as they occur in us. I don't know how much you know about blind spots. I hope a lot, you learn about blind spots by being in community with great folks who love you and are walking with you for your good and for your edification, not to tear you down. So I was, um, I told you this story before, but I only have like three stories, so I have to keep recirculating them. <laughs> So I was in Dallas, and I, um, I was in seminary, and I had been asked to teach an adult ed class, and I taught the class, and I, had, or I was going to teach the class. And there was a fellow of mine, remember I told you this, about this fellow who went to um, um, Larry Crabb's counseling thing in Colorado? Remember, I told you this. Gosh, that's what Laurie says too. She says, no, you think you tell me something, but you don't really tell me is a great story. Okay. Don't write this down because you'll hear it again. Okay. So, this fella uh, was going to go to Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb um, is still, but was a marvelous uh, Christian discipleship counselor person. Very insightful. And this guy, also very insightful, was going to go off to Larry Crabb's school to learn how to um, do counseling as discipleship, basically. So, I asked him if he would come and critique my message. <sighs> Fool. <laughs> so, I, I taught the message, and I asked him afterward, uh, I said, you know, how would you think I did, and, you know, what would, what would you share with me for my improvement? And he said, um, he said, well, I'm telling you, that was a good lesson. Uh, you taught it well. I understood it. It was clear. It was relevant. You had applications in it. It, it was good. You know, I, thank you for inviting me. I, I really was edified by going and listening to you teach. And I said, oh, "You know, thanks. It wasn't that good." <laughs> and he says, "No, no, no. It was. It was good." <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all right. Well, they invited me back the next week, so I went back the next week. And I said, oh, but, you know, would you mind coming back? Because surely you'll see something the second week, <laughs> you know. So he said, oh, man, I'd be happy to. So he comes. I teach again. I ask him the same question at the end of the time. And he says, again, um, he said, good message. Uh, I really was edified. Um, you know, thank you for inviting me. And I said, <laughs> No, it wasn't really that good. (laughs) And he said, Yeah, I'm not going down that road with you again. I said, I'm sorry. And he said, I thought it was curious last week after I'd given you a compliment that you milked another one out of me. Not going there with you this week, I gave you a compliment. And your proper response should be, thank you, and then shut your mouth. You don't need a second compliment. And he turned around and walked away. (laughs) A friend, a good friend, a blind spot, didn't even know I had it or did it. But he saw it just in one time of being with me. That's how obvious it was. Fantastic insight. So true. I've tried to put that into practice. Uh, If somebody says something to me, now I just say thank you. And I don't say any more. Because if I do, the next thing will be, oh, yeah, it wasn't really that good. (laughs) Because I'm trying to milk another one out of you. It just comes out of me. I can't stop it. Go ahead, laugh. (laughs) We all have blind spots. Who do you have in your life? We talked about community last week. Who do you have in your life? Cody talked about it today. Who do you have in your life who loves you and will call you out on your stuff? Because without it, I'm blind. All I know is what I know. All I can see is what I can see, and I can't see everything. In fact, I can't see me as you see me. Oh, That's weird, isn't it? I can't see me as you see me. I got so many blind spots. It's crazy. Some of these have to do with self-centeredness on my part and insecurity on my part. But we each have our own blind spots rooted in certain things. I don't know what yours are. I don't even know what all mine are. But I thank the Lord that he knows And he says, I see it, but I love you anyway. In fact, I've known it all along. And I called you to myself in spite of it. And by the way, Bill, it's even worse than you think. (laughs) But I saved you anyway, because I want you to be with me forever. Do you have a problem of love, distraction, ignorance, disobedience? We need to be climbing the mountain. That's where we've been invited to come. And it's only love that's slowing us down or encumbering. Not, uh, we're and so encumbered with other things. We need to love better, love our Savior better. For next time, new book, Numbers. If you've never read Leviticus, I'm betting dollars to donuts, you have never read the book of Numbers. Get ready. There's a lot of words. Don't leave it all to the end. Read one through nine. There's a lot of words in Numbers. Yeah, gotcha. Good. Good one. Remember, I'm the comedian here. Thanks. (laughs) Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your great, amazing, unfathomable I I can't even plumb the depths of it with my imagination uh, your love for us. You are amazing. Great is the Lord and worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Thank you for loving us, for reminding us of that tonight, Lord. We want to love you most with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Would your Spirit continue to work in us according to your good pleasure that we would love you more this week than we have this past week. You know where each of us is right now. Would you help us each, through the power of your Spirit, to take one step toward loving you more? We love you, and we pray for your blessing on us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.